0: one player podcast the show on solitaire board games i'm your host albert and this is episode 87 settling for solo games hello everybody welcome back it's julius and i
1: julius and i me and julius (laughs) maybe it's the two of us how are you doing julius i'm doing very well on this nice pleasant sunday afternoon
0: same here same here I have not had much time to play games lately, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: I, I hear your pain. <laughs> <laughs> Never enough time in the world, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah. So, today we're going to be talking about the game Imperial Settlers, um, which is a game designed for 1-4 players, and we're also going to be, uh, we don't have a lot more than that, we're going to have news and Kickstarter stuff, but that's about it.
1: Making promises already? Mm,
0: threats? <laughs> We're gonna do this, darn it! I don't care what you say. See, empty threats. Good luck. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess we just jump into the news.
1: Let's, <laughs>
0: let's do the news. So, starting with the news, I have only got three things. Um, and the first one's actually not even really a, a board game thing. Well, it sort of is a board game, but it's it's an app. The Rory Story Cube, the app, has finally had an update after a few years. If you're not familiar with this app, this is um or this game, Story Cubes. It's basically a set of nine dice. Each die has a different picture on each face. Um, so when you you roll up dice and you come up with pictures and you could make up stories with them or whatever. They're I don't honestly think of them as a game or as a as a interactive toy. Um, but they're really handy if you do role playing with them, because you you, you go solo role playing specifically. You do you're playing your adventure and you just think you'd like some sort of a unexpected thing to happen you could roll the dice pick a few out and use them to come up with something that was just you know something new and and i've used that to play a game solo before i talked about i don't know about 10 or 15 episodes back actually um so there's an update to the app and what the update is it's a little better interface now and the app brings the original set plus the first two expansions and they now added the next three mini expansions and they say they're going to add the next three mini expansions after that soon. Actually, no, the first six mini expansions are on there, and three more will be available at some point soon. Yeah, as a matter of fact, and the uh, s- the six expansions that have been added, three of them are only actually available as dice in the U.S. So, so it's sort of a sneak peek of what's, what's going to be around. Um, all the expansions you could add them on to your gate to your app if you bought the app or if you yes, if you bought the app, you could. Add-on, as a purchase, the individual expansions. They're about 99 cents each. And they just give you a lot more variability. And they include things like space, prehistoria, which is dinosaurs and cavemen and that sort of thing. um, Fantasy and, I think, sports or medicine? I don't remember all of them offhand. So that's my first item. Next up is... um. There's a new publisher called Tiny Battles Publishing, and they have released Invaders from Dimension X, which is a, a game I talked about with uh, Chris Chris Hansen a couple months ago. The game was designed by Herman Lutman, which we talked to about before, and I've talked to him before. He designed Dawn of the Zeds, which was on Kickstarter last year, and, and a few other games uh, in magnificent style. It's another Civil War game, another one that I really liked a lot. A spoiled victory. Dunkirk 1940, which is, again, another game I covered. Um, so he's a well-known and liked publisher, at least by me. Invaders from Dimension X is a solo game. And you're fighting aliens that are trying to attack us from a different dimension. And so the aliens move through uh, an AI, a, a, a random AI. The Tiny, is it, Tiny Battle Publishing has a couple other games that... They say they're for one or more players. I can't tell if it's if you're playing both sides or what. I suspect that's the case, but uh, I'll mention them anyway. They're called We Happy Few, The battles of Agincourt, and Blood Before Richmond, which is a... Oh, I'm well, sorry. And, and Blood Before Richmond Games Mill, which is a Civil War game. Um, and are you personally
1: interested in any of these? Not,
0: right now, I, I'm not going to buy anything right now. The, the first one sounded interesting. I mean, they all sound... well. I'm not going to get any of these. The Invaders from Dimension X sounds interesting. I'll probably play it at some point. Um, and the Battle of Agincourt sounds interesting also. Just because it's an interesting uh, topic. But if it's a two-player game, I'm less likely to get around to ever playing that. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> the the I hear that. My last piece of news now is from Victory Point Games. They have released a promo for Rush. For six ninety nine plus shipping um it's a little expensive if you don't if you're only just gonna get that from victory point games but if you if you're gonna get something else it's it's not a lot for her to add on okay Gem rush is a it's a tile lane hand management game and you're playing cards from your hand to move around to the different tiles and explore the board and, and make it bigger and just trying to collect gems I don't remember all the mechanics it's been a while since I played it, but it's a neat little game there we go that's all I have.
1: Yeah. Exciting!
0: I was tempted to get the promo, but at six ninety nine plus shipping, that that came out to like fourteen dollars for for a small deck of cards. So I decided not to do that at all. Okay. Next time I um, get something for Victory Point Games, maybe I'll add it on then.
1: So some other things in the news is I don't know if you're aware, but the twenty fifteen Solitaire Print and Play contest results came in.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, that's right. That was really exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, it was. I I, I mean. I feel bad because I still haven't had a chance to play a lot of the games on here, especially the winner of Best Overall. I still haven't had a chance to play. But of the top three, I've played two out of the top three. Um, the top three for Best Overall was, first place was Austerity by Jake Staines, who was actually a previous winner because he did my key. Um, was Agent Decker uh, was number two, and Deep Space D6 was number three. And I've played Agent Decker and Deep Space D6. I don't know if you've had a chance to play any of the other ones on... Uh, on the list here?
0: No, I've had very little time for print and play lately. I didn't actually, I didn't play any of them. There's a bunch that sounded really interesting, but just didn't get to it.
1: Yeah, for austerity, the way it works, uh, because that's the number one for the top overall, the way it works for austerity is it's a solo game where you're running a nation with a lot of international debt and you're trying to uh, stay in the office and manage all the aspects of the nation with police funding and enterprise and welfare and borrowing money and you're trying to work out how to deal with the debt and stay in office. Um funny little uh theme, an interesting theme this idea of being president of a comp- uh, being president of a nation for a theme. I find it kind of funny that we have another news topic also coming up with a very similar theme. Um, but I haven't had a chance to play that one, and I will probably have to get uh, get that one to the table and get a play for it. But both Agent Decker and Deep Space D6 I have had a chance to play, and I believe that Deep Space D6 is slated currently to head up on Kickstarter at one point in time. Deep Space D6 is a game where you have a bunch of custom dice that represent your crew, and what your crew can do in any given turn is determined by what the dice are showing, so they can be engineering, or they can be captaining, or or shooting... And you'll roll the dice and you have to deal with threats as they come out on the board and you'll move them around the ship and deal with threats. And once you get through all the threats and you don't blow up your ship, you win the game. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. Okay, that sounds cool. So that one's heading to Kickstarter at one point in time, and uh, hopefully they'll become something full. And I know that with Agent Decker, there's actually a full color copy of it, and theoretically, you could, you know, I suppose you could get a color copy of it and order from like a a printer place because it's just a card game. I think it's even possibly a fifty-two card game. So I mean, you could just order from like Artsco or something like that and have an actual real copy of the game.
0: Yeah, that's right, and that's pretty easy to do too, and the quality is kind of nice
1: so theoretically for Agent Decker and the idea of Agent Decker is you're an agent working through your deck and you have various missions and so you go through the game and you fight off the missions, you stave it off Um, maybe we'll have to do a full review of these three at one point in time
0: okay, sounds good, there's a couple of the games from the contest I do want to print out and play
1: at some point which ones are you looking at?
0: oh I don't remember offhand the name, I have to find them again and I am actually looking for that now oh, how do I switch back to that chat there's one I was looking at that it's the the one about walking in the woods
1: into the woods into the woods okay
0: oh yeah that Which one I haven't
1: looked into yet
0: that one looks neat it look it looks really cool and you know I have um some clear overhead acetates that I could print on with my printer and I saw that there somebody was printing them in, on clear acetate or something like that so maybe I'll try that out neat I don't think I don't that's necessary. I found it at the thrift store once and I bought it and I've never had it real use for it.
1: I don't have any such thing, and I have no idea about the game, in all honesty. So, that's that. Uh, But anyway, those are out, and uh, if you're interested in getting some cool little print and plays, head on over there. Um, So, speaking of presidents, there's another game which actually entered P500 through GMT called Mr. President. And what P500 is, and I know we do a lot of Kickstarter stuff around here, this is sort of similar to it. It's it's a pre-order 500. The way it works is that if they get 500 copies, they will release the game. If they don't get 500 copies, then it's the same as if on Kickstarter something didn't get funded. Um So that's what P500 means. And so it's, GMT is putting out a Mr. President on P500, and it's a solitaire game that, quote, puts you in the shoes of the President of the United States attempting to govern with limited resources in a complex and ever-changing world. So imagine austerity ramped up by, like, 60. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds neat. I've backed this one. Now, you th- did back this I, one. I did back this one. Um, the thing about the P500 is that, you know, once they get 500 orders, they'll commit to printing it, but... It may still be a while because they don't actually like schedule it I think until they have like seven hundred orders or so and and that could take years <laughs> for some games I had games that I backed years ago and eventually selling the means I was not expecting that
1: <laughs> I totally just have ask what what sold you on this because Honestly, yeah, what sold you on it?
0: It's solitaire and it's from a big publisher and I, oh, okay I, I like to support that um I may cancel it at some point because in, in a way the theme doesn't interest me that much. I'm not. I'm not it, that into the idea of a presidential game, but I haven't re- really read it yet. I'll read it at some point and then make my mind up later.
1: I I'm just, just curious sort of, if. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if with this P500 stuff, like I know looking at the page for it, and we'll go ahead and post the page to the show notes. But I mean, looking at the page for it, the art seems really. I hate to reuse the word austere and, and bland, and it doesn't look very nice. I mean. Yeah, you know, it's,
0: it's early on. The art will change a lot before they publish it.
1: The art does change. So you're saying that this is nowhere near what it's expected to look like?
0: No, not at all. That the there's a pictures of cards, and that's definitely just play test models. Probably the same for the picture of the board that's in there.
1: Oh, um, I mean, it it could be that I'm just expect expecting more because I'm used to looking on places like Kickstarter, where I feel like they really do a much better job of selling it. And here, I just don't feel like they really sold it very well.
0: Yeah, well, the, you know, they, they have a very dedicated following. And I, I don't think they have to work as hard to try and sell games here. Could be. Or, or at least they don't feel as inclined. But uh, only the games that have already been printed will show you like actual cover pictures of the game. The other ones will show you just some little picture and then it says P500 under it. You don't really know what the box will look like until, pretty much until you get it. Like um, <laughs> the one that comes to mind right now is Cuba Libre when I back that one the The box I got was just unexpected at all. I, I honestly I didn't like the art in the box so much, um, compared to the other games in the coin series. But you know, it's you know, it is what it is. They just don't release that art. They will release some of the art for the cards, I think, and stuff. If you go look on Consum World, maybe they do do the cover art on Consum World, but they don't necessarily update their P five hundred page with that stuff. I don't know why. it just, it's the way they work.
1: Okie hmm So that's that. Um, mm-hmm. and if you're interested in, um, pre ordering this one, it's $52 at the pre order price and regular price is $80. And I assume that the reason for that is because it has a ton of, ton, a ton of, a ton of chips. Just a whole bunch of chips running around with this game.
0: Yeah, it sounds about right. Six, that-
1: six hundred yeah. counters and markers. Wow. So okay. It's a whole lot, a whole lot of cardboard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but those are little tiny counters. That's a lot of time to punch those out. When I get a game like this, I won't clip my counters necessarily, but I'll trim them. And It takes a while to do that. I just did that for... Finally, I've had Combat Commander Mediterranean, and I finally finished that last month. I've had it for years, and every once in a while I pull it out and clip 20 or 30 counters and put it away. (laughs) It's a time-consuming process, but it's fun.
1: Alright, so this is mostly some of the Kickstarter. Why don't we move on to Kickstarter? Okay. So, uh, first one that I want to talk about, a little bit of a short fuse on this one, but you may have heard of this one already. Um, this one is Star Patrol Cario Commander. This is not a micro game, this is a nano game. We've gone beyond micro games. This, this is up to nano games. This is $3. Shipped worldwide. <laughs> Worldwide, anywhere, this is how much the game costs, including shipping, anything, $3. And the reason why it's $3 is because it is a teeny tiny game. The game is one board, one rule sheet, one envelope. Um, <laughs> a counter sheet? And a counter sheet. That's it. Actually, I think it's two counter sheets. No, it's just one counter sheet. One counter sheet. That's it.
0: And the whole thing will come in a small envelope.
1: Yes, this is this is a nano game. <laughs> this is teeny tiny. The way this game works is you have it's it's a, you're playing a carrier battle, and um, you're trying to fight your carrier and your starfighters against the opposing player. And it is, I believe, it's one to two players. Yeah, it's one to two players. So you can either fight against, you know, just a, a Uh, controlled one, or you can fight against another player who's controlling another frigate opposing you. But, uh, yeah, teeny tiny little game. Mm -hmm. Not played it, not really looked into it, but this is the sort of thing that for $3, maybe?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm still sticking to my no Kickstarters all month. No Kickstarters all month?
1: Yep, even for $3. I hear that. The only reason I wouldn't do it is because at one point in time when it gets this teeny do I end up playing this or do I end up playing one of my nice, really nice games that will let me sit down for a bit longer? And I don't know. Sometimes, yeah. yeah sometimes, no.
0: Yeah. Know. My guess is it'll it'll be about the quality of a print-and-play game, something you printed yourself. Um, maybe. So, so if you think of it like that, it is it about $3 with a, a paper and supplies that you use? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. One thing but I like... Anyway. Yeah. One thing I really like is how when you go to the... The Kickstarter page just shows you a breakdown of the cost of everything you know the envelope is 0.348 cents. The addressing is 0 point three eight cents and it shows you everything exactly why the price is three dollars, which is really interesting if you want to see how how somebody plans this sort of thing out and why somebody prices a game the way they do
1: Well, yeah, I agree, but I think that you can't necessarily extrapolate from this to the way a typical game would work.
0: you know my guess is it's it's not that different, just more complicated. For it's guess. just
1: more complicated. You have to think about a lot more things, especially mm-hmm. imagine thinking about something that has minis or, you know, real art. Not not to bash on this one, but it's just very simple art. But imagine something which has you know a lo- actual art being involved. You have to yeah. pay for that involved. You know, there's a lot that can go into it that isn't necessarily. Yeah, that's right. Something
0: something with a sure. hundred different cards. You know, is a lot more complicated, and expensive, and more time consuming. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a nice summary. Of, of, of. also speaking of a. Uh, Speaking of whatever we we're speaking about, which is something made me think of this, the game will be available, expected to ship in October. Yep. Right, Which, you know, is 11 days, 12 days from now.
1: Yeah, it's done. <laughs> I assume that they'll probably, I mean, they could probably just ship this straight out with, um, you know, any print-on-demand sort of studio. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take that much. So that's that one. Yeah, so. And this one's on a short fuse. It's only got eight days from the time of recording. Hmm,
0: Okay. So, <laughs> which means if we edit it next week, you may ha- you might be lucky to get a day to to back it. <laughs> Go quickly. And this is from the Kickstarter archives.
1: <laughs> I hope not. I hope we will get it <laughs> we'll edited a little yeah. bit sooner than that. Um, but the next one I want to talk about also has a slightly short fuse. It's got ten days f- from today. Avalanche at Yeti Mountain, and so this is a game coming from Kickstarter uh, from. Green Couch Games, who have made some really other great games that I, uh, I'm looking forward to and I really like. Um, thinking of Fidelitas and thinking of Best Treehouse Ever are two of the great games that I've played from Green Couch Game. Um, so this one is the Avalanche at Yeti Mountain. And the idea of this one is, is that you are guys on skis with rockets and you are racing down a mountain as fast as possible. And it's a race to get to the bottom first. The only problem is that you've set off an avalanche while you're doing this, and a yeti who lives on the mountain is not very happy with you setting off an avalanche, and he's trying to catch up to you and eat you.
0: <laughs> Get out um, of that mountain quick.
1: So you have to deal with all those things. Yeah, well, at this point in time, I think it's more a race to the death in addition to a race to the bottom. But no, actually in the rules it does say that if the avalanche ever catches up to you, don't worry, there's a helicopter that comes to pick them up immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I thought that was kind of a cute little throw into the rules. But um, I don't know if you're looking at the art, but the art for this one, it's a cute box um, with the Yeti with the fanny pack chasing after some scared racers.
0: (laughs) I didn't see a fanny pack before. That's funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Cute art.
0: Is this a small game? Same as Fidelitas?
1: Yes. This is another small game. The game comes with a set of a certain amount of cards. 60 cards five pawns for the for the players, one Yeti pawn, and everyone has um, a card that shows how fast they're going. There's a card for the avalanche that shows how fast the avalanche is going. And then there's the speed limit cards. And so the way this game works is um, the way this game works is you start off and the, the mountain cards are double-sided. So they'll say either how fast you're going or the lay out the track for the actual mountain. And so before the game, you'll go and you'll shuffle up all of the mountain cards and lay them out in 12. So that'll de- figure out what track it is that you have to race down. So you'll have to race down that track and see how fast you can get down it. And that track will also determine a special Yeti track. On each card is printed the racer's track and is printed the Yeti track. And they'll follow a different track down the mountain. Um, so for the multiplayer version of the game, the way it works is you'll have in your hand also a set of cards. And the cards will be numbered one, two, three, four, or five. And they'll have one of four different icons. A black, blue, green, and red icon. And you'll play one of those. And the idea is to go as fast as possible to get down the mountain. But at the same time, based upon the number of players in the game, there's a speed limit imposed by the mountain. And this speed limit is global, so for example, when you're playing uh f- when you're playing three players, I think when you're playing three players, the speed limit is opposed to ten. I think I'd have to look into to exactly this, but the speed limit is opposed to ten. so if two people play a five and one person plays a three, so all together they've hit thirteen, and the two people who played five get bumped down to one because they the the speed limit was broken, and anyone who's going fastest gets bumped down to one. So you want to try and gauge how fast you're pushing it so that you're not going fastest when the speed limit gets broken, because otherwise you'll end up going too slow. Additionally, if you match the symbol with the card you played to the symbol on the card that you're on... So let's say that your skier your skier is on a blue card... With a blue icon, because all the cards are the same thing. So it's got a blue icon on the card your skier is on. If you play a blue card and nobody else ahead of you, or behind you actually in the race, nobody else who's losing more than you in the race has played a blue icon, then you'll get to rocket jump. You'll launch your rockets and you'll skip over the next card and then you'll start counting from the card after that. Um, the only problem is that sometimes someone else may have also tried to... Um, play the rocket in front of you, and so if they were higher up on the mountain, i.e., if they're losing the race more than you, so then they'll, um, they'll their rocket jump will supersede yours, and you won't get to rocket jump. And each time there's a rocket jump, the avalanche will start going faster and faster. And it will the the avalanche card has a track that shows it starts at one, two, three, four, five, six, and each time after everyone moves and after the yeti moves. The avalanche will move down, and if it catches you, so you're out of the game. So the goal of the game is to make it down the mountain fastest and not get hit by the avalanche. Now that along the way, the Yeti will also move. Mm -hmm. After every racer has moved, whoever is farthest behind in the race gets to move the Yeti. And the Yeti will move the amount equal to the highest card played. So if the highest card played was a 5, so then the Yeti will get to move 5, for example. And the Yeti moves along his own track. And sometimes his track will intersect with some racers. And if you knock into a racer, the Yeti will walk by and he'll turn off your rockets. So you won't be able to rocket on your next turn. And that's really all that the Yeti does. He doesn't actually eat you. He just turns off your rockets.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was all talk.
1: Yeah, he's all talk. <laughs> he, he he doesn't do much. So he has his own track. And so whoever is losing gets to move the Yeti around um with well let's the yeah let's talk about solo now so the way it works in solo is you first have to throw in a controlled card variant where you have to play all of your cards in order and keep them all on the board and if you play more than two different than the last one you crash um so if you played a one and then a four for example you would crash and you end up losing a card for that in solo um, And when a Yeti hits you in solo, he takes away a card. So if you lose all your cards, you lose. But otherwise, it's you versus the Yeti. And the way it works is first you determine if you can rocket jump by seeing if your icon matches the icon on the card that you're on. If you try to rocket jump, so now there's not that idea that you have to see if anybody else ahead of you rocket jumped. What you do is you then flip over a card from the deck and see if it also matches your icon. If it also matches your icon, you don't rocket jump. If it doesn't match your icon, then you do rocket jump. Um, after that, whatever card it is that you flipped, that's how many spaces the Yeti goes down on his track. And so you move you, then you move the Yeti, then you move the Avalanche. And in the solo game, the Avalanche always accelerates one each round. So the Avalanche will move more when you're playing solo in addition to any acceleration due to rocket jumps. So you have to get ahead of the avalanche. So I think that for this game, multiplayer, it was an okay game. Uh, I did not like it as much as I liked the previous two games, Fidelitas and Best Treehouse Ever. Um, it was an okay game. The I think that one of the the core new neat things they had for this was that speed limit mechanic. Where you're trying to think, what, is, what are my opponents going to play? Am I going to get under them? Are they going to make me hit the speed limit or not? this dynamic gets a little bit more powerful also when you play with a drafting variant that's in the rules, which is one of the advanced rules, where instead of getting a card randomly at the end of each round, you instead draft a card. And so you're able to look and see, well, did they get a high card? Did they get a low card? Do I think they're going to use a low card to try and rocket jump? So that lets you have a little bit more control and idea over whether or not you can risk playing a high card or not. So you, try and, so you try and gauge that. My problems with the multiplayer were that, I don't know if you're looking at the cards, but if you'll note on the cards, there's an unbroken Yeti track across the top. Yep. So to me, it looks like you can send the Yeti all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, and he can't do anything. Or all the way back up to the top of the mountain, and he can't do anything. A lot of the times, the Yeti didn't get involved. Because everyone gets clumped together, and you can't move the eddy without also hitting your guy very often. yep,
0: so you just take the top track and avoid everybody
1: and you just avoid everybody, so the eddy just gets played off to nowhere. Similar with the avalanche, early in the game, the avalanche might cause you to lose if you pl- if you beat if you break the speed limit twice and everyone else rocket jumps. So then you'll go too slow that the avalanche won't catch you. But as soon as you start racing full speed to get down the mountain, the avalanche gets so far behind that it's just irrelevant. The avalanche just doesn't catch up to you. But for a, a light game, just a light little racer that fits, you know, for a light little race that fits in a box, it can be fun. You just don't really have much decisions and much to do in the game. Um, but it's a fun, it's, it's a fun little light game. I think that the, the core idea of sort of trying to bluff other people, like I'm going to throw a high one. You better not or things like that. Um, so that can be, that can be fun and it's an okay game. Unfortunately for solo, I I just couldn't recommend this for solo. Um, when you move to solo, it just becomes an entirely random affair. You have your hand of cards Mm -hmm. and if you draw high cards, so then you'll be able to move down the mountain fast. If you draw low cards and the Yeti draws high cards, he moves down the mountain fast and you can't do anything to stop that. He can't knock you off course. He's not in control of anything. In fact, you get to pick which track he does. So if he's ever about to hit you, if you look at the cards almost all the time, the Yeti has two tracks. He can move around the racers or move with the racers you can just have him miss you. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I wonder I, if there's a rule that they left out or something regarding the solo game where, you know, they they know it's always got to hit you or something, but they forgot to tell you about that.
1: It could be, but even if you play it that it always got has to hit you, still I mean, you know, still you just you you tend to get ahead of him or he gets ahead of you. But yeah, even if it has to hit you, so fine. But that rule was not in the rules. And I, there were a bunch of questions that I did have the rules, and I sent an email to Jason Katarski, um, the publisher, the head of Green Couch Game, asking for some clarification of the rules, and I have not heard back yet. Um, I'm sure it's because he's busy with the Kickstarter and things, but I just I simply have not heard back yet. So that's at least one of the questions I had in the rules. Um, but, I mean, also, if you draw high, you win. If you draw low and he draws high, he wins. Also, with the rocket jump, Normally with a rocket jump, it's, well, I'm not in the lead, so the people who are behind me, they get a rocket jump, but here, I flip over my card, I have a 1 out of 4 chance, maybe the other will flip over the same one as me, maybe he won't, there's no way for me to know. It's a whole deck of 60 cards, and they're split into 4 by each color. I can't predict what color is going to come up out of it. Maybe if we split it into 10, I can keep track. Oh, there's more chance that now that we're on blue, <laughs> I'll be able to do it. But no, really, it's as good at rolling a dice. So the chance for you to rocket jump is as good at rolling a dice. So, I mean, that's not a bad chance. You have a three out of four chance of being successful. But on the other hand, you had absolutely no control. And you really don't have any control over where it is, what cards it is that you get, because you always want the higher cards. And if you don't get higher cards than the Eddie, he wins. And that's just Mm -hmm. the end of the game. And to me, largely, there was just not much to do. Okay. Yep. It, It really does sound entirely random. So I'm not sure. I I did send an email to them, and I haven't heard back and see if there's anything that they can do to fix that, and I'm sure that if I have a chance, I'll update, but it sounds entirely random, and just to me, there was absolutely no control to that. Now then, I know that I was discussing with some of the people I played with an expert variant. I know that there's two advanced variants involved here, the drafting and the control speed that I mentioned already, but I was thinking of an expert variant, where instead of trying just to race down the mountain fastest um what you have is that a style and you know you you are trying to get a certain amount of style points throughout the game where if you jump over another racer you get it or if you play a straight of cards you get a style point or if you bump into the yeti you get a style point or if you hang out Right next to the avalanche, and like put your trail in the avalanche, you get a style point. And whoever has the mo- and whoever gets the fastest down the mountain gets a style point. And whoever at the end of the game has the most style points wins the game. And with that one, you're playing multiple cards, and you're interacting more, and you're trying to interact with the other players. And there's a, there's a lot more going on, a lot more things you can do. And sometimes you'll want to play a one, and sometimes you want to play a four, and you sort of have to judge all of that and keep it all all intact. And, you know, I thought that there, there was a made-up thing, a made-up way that we were playing, and it's not in the rules at all. But to me, that was a better way of playing. But I don't know. Yeah.
0: It, it's, it's a neat-looking game. It looks really cute, and it looks like it would be fun with kids.
1: It I does think. look like it would be fun with kids, It's because there's so there, there's very little to it. It would be very easy for kids to understand. Yep. Oh, you play, you match, you rocket jump, you hit the Yeti. It looks like it would be a fun game. I, I agree that it looks like it would be a fun game for kids. Just, I think that for me, I want... A, I, I want really a lot more control to my games. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think it'd fall flat as a solo game from what you've described.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, and for this one, we have a little bit of time left.
1: I think 10 days. Uh, so we have 10 days, and it's not an expensive game either. Uh, you can get a copy of the game for only $16. Oh, that's not bad. Does that include shipping? No, it's plus shipping. Okay. Uh, $3 for US and World is $7. It's still pretty cheap. Wow, okay. So that's that one, and just one more that I want to bring up real quick is Charm City Blues, a detective noir game, and this one was actually just alerted to me only minutes before the podcast, oh. <laughs> um, which is a co-op game, and it still has 17 days to go, and it's not quite backed yet. Uh, actually, Avalanche is also not quite backed yet, but uh, so this is a detective noir. It's a cooperative game where everyone's trying to team up to. Uh, catch up with the suspect looks like a another small little game it's um it's a 40 dollar game in order to get a copy of it um not from any big known publisher but i thought the theme sounded interesting to me i haven't had a chance to look into it very much but i thought it looked cool and i would at least bring it up with the podcast and if anyone's interested in looking into it more
0: mm-hmm. yeah it, it looked really nice it's worth checking out i think
1: And it ends in October. Yeah, you still have uh, 17 days to go. That ends on October 8th. October 8th. I may check that one out then. (laughs) You're in. Wait, how did you back Mr. President if you said that you're not backing things? That doesn't count. That doesn't end in in this month. That's
0: probably going to end sometime next year or later. I see. (laughs)
1: I see. Very tricky playing that kind of game.
0: I was tricked, though, because I had something on P500 and I got charged for it last week. And I got an email saying, hey, you got charged for this today, which was a Combat Commander expansion I had no idea about.
1: So maybe you can't do it because maybe the next time they'll charge you will be when you're not kickstarting things anymore.
0: That's right. (laughs) So it's tricky. I'm just going to have to be careful. Maybe I just need to stop getting games. Period. Good plan. (laughs) <laughs> That'll make the show more interesting Maybe Hi, I have Ignasi Trevishek here today And we're talking, about, um, we're talking about some of the Solitaire games and some of his games in general. Hey, Ignacy, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Doing, doing great, thank you. Um, so, so let me start real quick with about you. Um, how long have you been gaming?
2: The whole life, right? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, actually, in my when I was in high school, I discovered role-playing games, and it was my passion, passion for a long, long time. And my whole college and high school, uh, I was playing role-playing games. Then I discovered miniature games like Warhammer. And then I discovered board games, and now board games is my job.
0: Yep, okay. Do you. Now, you guys also publish some RPGs, though, don't you? Like the 51st State or something like that? Or some of yes. your board games are based in RPGs?
2: Yeah, so uh, this is like our first DNA. Yes, the, the beginning of the company, the foundation of the company, was actually Role playing Games Magazine. So I began. Uh, I founded a magazine. It was B Monthly Magazine in Poland about role playing games and then we began to publish our own role-playing games and then we developed into the role-playing games and then into board games uh, in terms of uh, American market I think the other has uh, d- like similar um, genesis, yes, because Alderaq was pre- publishing uh, Le- Le- Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game and 7C role-playing game, yes, and then they moved to the board games, so this is something like the same in Portal games I see, okay, okay um, do you do you play solo games i play solo games when my wife is uh, when i have a free weekend let's say yes yeah. so my wife is with kids somewhere in mountains or something like that i play solo games i don't play solo games when she's here because it would be not very nice but when she's yes, uh, when I- but when she's away i play i have a couple of solo games that i like and uh, i have plenty of other to figure out how to play them yet yeah. so i have a to play list of solo games on my shelf so yes i do did will do this
0: okay um what kind of solo games do you like
2: i i i really like friday which is a very small but very cute game i mm. like ss titanic which actually didn't get that good reviews but i really like the game it has something i don't know what but i i like it a lot and uh, I'm waiting yeah. now very eagerly for a solo expansion for Conflict of Heroes. I don't know if you ha- heard about this, but... Uh, yes. This I is... have
0: this on my table. I, I'm going really? to play it. Yes, I haven't had time to play it. It's, the box <laughs> is sitting there and I've looked at it every day. <laughs>
2: uh, I, I plan to buy it when it is available here in Poland. And uh, I heard uh, from the previews, because the, the expansion was previewed on a couple of, ex- of, of conventions that it is really, really good, so I'm really eager to try it.
0: Yeah, that, that's what I've heard. That, that's what I've heard, too. I, I, I'm the same as you. I've tried to play the multiplayer version of the game solo and, and did that okay, but from I, what I've seen, the solo rules are much simpler than the playing both sides.
2: I've played the uh, m- multiplayer version with my wife. She didn't like it, so this is the perfect choice for me. I need this for the solo variant, yes, so yeah. that's why I need this expansion.
0: So so you're also a publisher of games, you've already mentioned. Do you like publishing or designing more?
2: Yeah, I hate both of these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of these things uh, and these activities have uh, some highlights and some and some problems. So um, maybe it's even better for me that sometimes I can wear my publisher hat and do something different and then be a designer for a couple of days and do something different and because uh, both of these uh, things to do have some problems like stress like testing like all that stuff and some very interesting stuff so mm, yes i prefer to change my hat every couple of days or every couple of hours during the day and try to be both of these
0: Okay, um, so so let me ask you a little bit about your designing, right? You, you're known for liking games that tell stories. Um, I, I know you've written a book, uh, games that tell stories, which I think is actually your post from your blog yep, and some yep. other articles. Um,
2: so do you ever do
0: you ever lose a game deliberately just because of the story?
2: Uh, no, but I when <laughs> I play games, I tend to. I mean, uh, how to say that? I enjoy the game. Better when I am engaged with the game and uh, I don't mind losing the game if I engage the game in terms of team and I have uh, fun during the game. So I'm not type of munchkin who will, you know, analyze every single possible move and choose the most efficient move. I'm not that, that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who sometimes role-playing during the games and have fun and chit-chat with players. And I like the games that tell stories because then I can role-play and feel like a pirate or feel like a ninja or whatever. And so I am entertained and I am engaged with the game when, it is, when there is a strong team. So I'm not focusing so much on the best move ever, but engaging the story.
0: Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So, so sometimes if you're playing a pirate game, you might talk like a pirate.
2: Yep, yeah. it, it, it <laughs> happens. Yes, it happens.
0: It, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Um, so, in in designing games, do you do you think games should follow a, a three act structure or five act structure like a story?
2: I, I think there is as many approaches as many designers and uh, I have always a problem when people during a, at conventions when I have a lectures and seminars for young designers and they ask me about some advices and I do a lecture and at the very beginning of each lecture and at the very end of this each lecture I say, and guys, remember, this is uh, my lecture, if you are talking to Stefan Feld, or if you are talking to Robert Knie- Reiner Knizia, or Antoine Bauza, they will tell you something totally different. So, uh, I believe that each of us has to have a own approach, and uh, the, the beauty of this hobby and this industry is that there's so many different games, so dif- d- different approaches, yes. Right,
0: fair enough, fair enough. So so when, so when Ignazi designs a game, do you, do you try and follow a story structure?
2: I try to imagine what players' experience should be. Like, for example, my most renowned game, Robinson Crusoe, is the experience of the players should be desperation and trying to survival. Yes, mm-hmm. and around this experience, I try to build the rules that will help me build this experience. So, and uh, the stories. Very important here on Robinson Crusoe, if we're talking about Empire Setters, where, where you build empires, this is a different experience. Player has to feel that at the beginning of the game, his empire is very small and weak, and at the end of the game, it is very strong and big. So the game develops very rapidly, and in each round, the player has more and more resources, and he feels that he's building an empire. So in each game, when I start, first first thing I note what sort of experience players should have. And then I start to build the rules and all the stuff. I see.
0: Okay. That's interesting. So, so since you're talking about some of your specific games, let's let's jump into some of the games. Um, Imperial Settlers just came out. Well, actually, I know it came out a while ago, but it, you got expansions coming out a yep. lot lately, and I yes. know there's another one coming out soon. Yes. Um. The, the, honestly, the, the first thing I want to know, who's that guy in the cover of the game? <laughs> he, he, he doesn't match the. He, to me, he doesn't match the different civilizations. He, he's dressed all wrong.
2: Yeah, so he he represents the common folks because in the game we have four civilizations and we have a deck of common cards. Common cards are common villagers, villagers who just live uh, nearby. Yes, and uh, each player will during the game conquer these villagers and conquer these common carts, So this this funny dude on, on the cover represents these villagers that will be crushed and raised and conquered <laughs> by the fourth civilization. And just, actually, just uh, last week we published uh, in Portal Vlog, we showed that if you look, but it's impossible for you, but if you are possible to look behind the letters on the cover, behind the Imperial Setters letters on the cover, and there is a Four civilizations um, approaching this little village that we all see on the covers, and <laughs> um, but neat. it is but it is hidden, and we showed this in the video that this PSD file, this this artwork file, actually has these four civilizations approaching this little village and this little dude. <laughs> it's
0: funny. So does the little guy have a name?
2: Uh, he doesn't have name yet, but <laughs> uh, he definitely should have. <laughs> he should.
0: Um, so now you've got a, a you've got one expansion out already, right? Why can't we be friends? Yes, a- and that brings two cards specifically for the solo player. That's true, right? A- and they basically let the solo player play against one of these other civilizations. Are the are the is the next expansion going to bring two more?
2: So in Atlanteans expansion, there is a one more for the Atlanteans faction, and in the next uh, Empire pack that will be released hopefully this year later. Uh, there's two more for Japanese and for Egyptians. Uh, so, yes, um, altogether each faction will have own card the, for the solo, solo variant, so the players have a little bit more va- va- variety to play.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay, very cool.
2: Um, and we have a solo campaign. You know that.
0: Yes, that's right. So so you've got like three different ways to play solo, which I really like. You can play straight out of the, the box. There's rules for playing solo. Yes, which is very straightforward, or then you could add the uh, the Civilization cards, yes. so, which changes it, and I think made it a little bit harder, honestly. That's true, that's uh, true. Yep, and then there's the, the campaign. Why did, why did you end up making three different solo modes like that?
2: It, it's so super simple. Players like it, players use it, and players really, really um, play this. And what I discovered, the um, importance of a solo variant when I designed Robinson Crusoe, because in Robinson Crusoe, well, because of the theme of the game, the solo variant was rather obvious, so I designed solo variant for Robinson Crusoe, and after publishing the game, I discovered how many people actually played this solo variant. I did it just, you know, like, okay, this is a Robinson Crusoe game, so let's make it solo variant, but I didn't, I wasn't aware how many people will actually play it, and when I saw it, uh, now it's our policy that if the game has a chance to have a solo variant we have to add it because there's so many gamers who doesn't have for example spouse to play with the games yes or doesn't have a friend to play with the game and there's so many solo solo players or players who like to practice the game so they play at home to make it to play better and there's many of such such people as well so i discovered in 2000 it was actually 2012 when i discovered how rich uh, is this niche, uh, as you say, of solo players? And now we try to put the content for them, and we treat them very seriously.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so looking forward, we'll probably see a lot more solo stuff from Portal Games. That's yes. great.
2: That's really cool. Yeah, because I think many publishers. I mean, I was, I was this publisher, I was this publisher. Many of the publishers doesn't recognize how many of people like to have a tea or have a wine uh, in the evening and play solo game. I wasn't aware till I accidentally discovered it with Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> and now I know this is an important part of the market. This is important part of the customers who will appro- 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 appreciate, uh, appreciate that there is a solo variant. And then we, as I said, we are focused that if it is possible, we put solo variant because there is a market for that.
0: Yeah, I know myself. If I'm going to buy a game, if it has a solo option, I'm just more likely to buy it because I'm more likely to play it. Yeah,
2: yeah, it makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yep. Um. So. So the cards in the the Why Can't We Be Friends expansion? Do they make the game harder, or do they just add more variety? And and I guess this is from the solo point of view.
2: From the solo point of view, they make it harder because these two cards uh, makes this um, non-player. Uh, character, the opponent for the player, virtual player uh, has some special skill, so he plays better. In terms of barbarians, he, if you play against non-player uh, uh, character, he is attacking you, raising you much often and the Romans uh, build much faster, so it is a bigger challenge for the players. And the same will be with Japanese and Egyptians, the same is with the Atlanteans, and yes, this is the concept that if you are familiar with the solo solo variant, if you played solo variant, if you are good at this, mm-hmm. then you take these additional features and and then you and then you will uh, play and have fun again.
0: Yep, that's right. Yeah, and, and you know every every time it it adds more replayability because now if I'm getting tired of playing the the first way, I could add that and I could play some more, and then I'll go back to the other way, and it really just adds a lot to the life of the game.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. So now you've got another expansion coming out, which is the Atlanteans, right? That's true. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, Atlanteans is a amazing expansion in my opinion because it once again it manages to um, connect the, the team and the rules blends them very, 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 very fun way. Because Atlanteans, as the myths say, will will die because of sinking, and in this in this expansion, at the end of the game, all cards from Atlanteans sink and they are lost and Atlanteans get no points for that so this is like very difficult for them uh, so during the game they have to score as fast as possible because they know that at the end of the game there will be no end scoring for them and because they have this knowledge, they have this ancient civilization with uh, all of technology and, uh, and great wisdom, they, they are able to pass this knowledge and pass this technology to the villagers so during the game the player who plays Atlanteans will focus much more on the common cards on the common villages, and they can upgrade common cards to make them much more efficient and bring more victory points while during the game they are dying so this is like a super new way of thinking because now you have to focus on the common cards and this is thematic, this is fun and this is a new challenge for the players I am super proud of this expansion and I cannot wait for players to play it and, and give first reviews and that stuff
0: Cool, okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do really badly at this one. It sounds like it's something <laughs> I'll have trouble with. Um, but but I like that challenge. So, so is this coming out for Spiel Essen?
2: Yeah, so the pre-release, we had a few hundred copies at Gen Con. So a few hundred copies were sold at Gen Con. And now the official release is Spiel Essen. And uh, we send uh, the games to the distributors in Europe and in states. So October, it should be available at stores in states and in Europe. And yes, this is official. This is official release here in the Spiel.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. Um, the, you know the artwork in the game is really great because there's so much detail in all those little tiny cards. Are there any Easter eggs in the cards? I, mean, I ask because I know that there's some Easter eggs in the box itself, and you've already mentioned the the hidden civilizations on the cover.
2: There is a lot of stuff uh, because I I deliberately ask my artwork team to put them on the cards uh, to. To add a little bit fun factor uh, for players, so they can investigate the cards and look at the bottom of the box and look at the, some the hidden messages. And uh, this is part of the fun, like like meta games, yes? like like looking for something hidden. Mm-hmm. And we try to add it in every other game some Easter eggs. So yes, yeah, there is a, there is also stuff already in Atlantean There is a new stuff in the this third expansion and. Uh, there will be more. There's, uh, once again is our policy to play with the gamers, to play with our hardcore fans who heard about the ninjas hidden in the box and mm-hmm. as I just said, we just showed in our vlog that mm, behind the uh, Imperceptor's title there is something hidden and there's more of that stuff yes, we, we, we enjoy designing these games and we enjoy playing with you and uh, putting some hidden messages mm, just just Few weeks ago, one of the, our fans discovered that mm, uh, few letters on uh, one of the scenario uh, makes a sp- hidden message for for them. So th- it was hidden message that no one uh, saw before, and he just he just discovered and he had so much fun. So yes, we are putting that stuff in our games over and over.
0: Oh, that's very cool. That reminds me of Groove comics.
2: Yeah, where, where
0: they would do that at every episode, every issue had a hidden message in it somewhere. This
2: is this, this is fun. This is like a, mm-hmm. something. It doesn't change the product. It doesn't make this product better, but it makes you smile at some point. And this is so much important that that you discover this and me. oh, Dave, this is smart. This is this is funny.
0: Okay, I'm gonna have to start digging through my game. <laughs> So, so I know you've mentioned before you don't plan to make a lot of different civilization expansions, just because it's a, it's a huge job to to test all that, right? Every time you add another civilization, it's just way, way, way more testing. But what what would you like to see as a civilization if that wasn't an issue? What what would you enjoy personally?
2: Yeah, we will we will publish one version per year and this is a as you, as you said is a difficult task because each of these civilization has to play a completely different like atlantia that focus on common cards for example we have plenty of notes for different civilizations and different of ideas um, we don't know which one will be pub- published but uh, if you look at the whatever these are myths or this is our history uh china Amazons, uh, Aztecs Ma- Magians, there's so many different cultures and uh, civilizations in the past and each of them has some very interesting features and stories behind them and uh, mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot of stuff that we can try to design but the most important thing is that this expansion has to have completely different rules than basic, uh, basic factions so you guys enjoy this and discover and ha- are challenged again mm-hmm. yes
0: do you think you'll release any civilizations that are more more modern, like even Middle Ages or anything like that? Because it seems they're all pretty ancient. At style. this at
2: this point, I have so many notes about ancient civilizations that modern civilizations, not not so fast. Okay.
0: <laughs> Neat. All right. Uh, let's move on to Robinson Crusoe. Sure. Um, so you already mentioned a little bit about that game, and it's it's a fun game. It's a very fun game. Thank you. And. Um, what I've noticed is a lot of people seem to really like the the event cards in that where you have two choices. You know, it's it's either do this or or do this other thing. That's a little later. That's probably better, but you'll suffer for it first. Yeah. Right. Um, how did you come up with that? That's a neat idea.
2: Yeah. So this is basically taken from the stories from the books. Like in so many books, in so many movies, the main character has to make some decision, and then the decision comes. Uh, comes back at some point in different chapters later on, and it was at some point I came up with this idea. I don't know, remember exact date or ex- exact day, but the, the story behind this is that if you read a book, the following events make a one whole story. Yes, they are one event leads to another event that leads to another event. There is a story. Yes, in board games, especially with cooperative games it it wasn't the case these events drawn from the event deck were completely random you just and in average cooperative game you just take a event a cards you shuffle them and you just draw them and it doesn't create the story so my obsession and I was looking for how to make that events that things that we done in the first round in the second round in the third round will have some consequences in the later rounds and at some point I came up with this idea that you can uh, Have an event, and then you can shuffle it to the deck so it will come up later with some consequences. And when I introduced this during the playtesting, and the playtesters said, Okay, this is it, this is something new, this is something very interesting, and they had this feeling that, Okay, now I, for example, was bite by a snake, it's not that bad now but i know that later on i will have some problems and they take these cards and put it into into even deck and they just wait when these problems will appear yes when this uh, leg will start to really really hurt hurt so i don't remember exact day when i invented this but i was really very really proud and i think it adds the huge story element to the game that your actions has consequences later on
0: yeah, I, I agree, it really does add to the story that, that's what makes it so neat do you, do you have any more expansions planned for this? You know, I would love to see a, a Lovecraftian one like for example in the Call of Cthulhu where, where they travel in the ocean is, that island it, comes out of the ocean
2: it is already announced sir <laughs> <laughs> yes, we in one of my portal vlogs uh, I had to ask this question because so many of, of you guys were asking so yes, the next expansion will be a Lovecraftian one Oh, it, awesome. it, it it is it is true. It um, and uh, last year I published um, free scenario um, tracking Doctor Livingstone. It was published on our website, and yes. this scenario uses mechanism of a game book. The game paragraphs. I don't know it's how you call it in English. Is this is a game book. How you call yes, it? game books. Yeah, game yep. books. So this was my testing this uh, engine, if it works and if I can use it. And uh, the testing was very successful. People like this scenario. So in this Lovecraftian Lovecraftian campaign, this will be a huge game book, and players will develop a story. And there will be of course uh, some cultists and there will be some ancient uh, temples, and there will be lots of uh, dark dark mood, and there will be new mm, new idea like mm, uh, not only morale track, but there will also be like terror track. And when character is uh, very frightened, and he's really, really in fear of something, he's losing his sanity. And when he loses sanity, at some point he may lose control over over himself. So at some point, the game takes control over player and he does something crazy because he's insane. So this will be new mechanics in the in the campaign. But basically, it will be ma it's hard to say much more because Robinson Crusoe is already story-driven but this one will be very much story-driven with this game book with the story developing during the new paragraphs and it will be very, very Lovecraftian style
0: Wow. Okay. That that sounds great. I can't wait to see that.
2: <laughs> I can't wait to start designing it because I have it all <laughs> in my head with some notes in my in my notepad. But uh, I, I didn't start playtesting it yet. But I have a vision how to do it, and I and I believe it will be very very interesting.
0: Nice. So that's 2016 at least. Hopefully, if not, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Um. So so this is a real. This game is already really big and complex, right? Where did all that? Come from? Did you did you start the game complex or did you keep adding things to it little by little?
2: Yes, it, it it is much more complex than I expected at the beginning. And um, at the beginning, it was only game that was telling the story of the first scenario, and uh, so it was only about building a pile of wood and uh, calling for help. But at some point during the playtesting, uh. It was getting boring that just all the time gather the wood, build a camp, fire it up, and that's it. And at some point uh, I said, okay, we we, we need more stories. And when I came up with the idea that there will be different scenarios, it gets difficult because (laughs) each scenario has new rules, yes, and some Mm -hmm. new conditions, and uh, it made this game much more difficult. But at the same time, it made the game with the huge replayability right now with these 6 scenarios in the base game and with 2 or 3 official scenarios on, on our website there is like months of playing the game, uh, but yes at the beginning I didn't expect that this game would be so huge uh, what I expected from the very beginning, from my very first notes uh, I planned to put uh, as much cards with events and adventures as possible so, so the, mm, the beginning was put as many cars with different things that will happen to players as possible. So we knew that we'll have like 200 cars or 300 cars in the game. But I didn't expect that I would design scenarios and I will create few different stories on this island. And I am very proud that I did it.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> that made the game so great, you're right. Um... Let me jump forward to to one other game of yours I know supports solitary play, which is or not your design but published by Porter, which is Legacy: The Testament of Duke de Crechy. Yes. Um. Can I, I've played the game once. I haven't tried the solo rules yet. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So this is like the the perfect uh, uh, example of the of the fact of our solo player variant policy because we published Robinson Crusoe in 2012. And this is the moment when I discover how many solo players there is. And we are in uh, 2013. We are going to publish Legacy. And I on purpose, deliberately, uh, order solo variant for the game. So in the prototype we we received from the the designer, from the Michael Hendricks, there was no solo variant. And uh, having this feedback from Robinson Crusoe players, I ordered designing special solo player variant for the game and actually this solo variant was not designed by the michael hendrix designer of the game but it was the other guy who just uh, came to design solo variant for for you guys so this is like a perfect example of our policy is that we are trying to add this Um, and now the solo variant the legacy uh, the basic game is about building a family we are building this family for three generations you start in a as your grand, grand, grand grandpa and you are starting marrying your daughters and your sons and you are building a family tree this is a basic game in a solo variant uh, Michal Varchak, my friend who designed this variant he made it completely opposite we start in the modern days like today and we are trying to figure out who was our grand grandfather parents. so it is like an investigation game and we are using uh, different actions than in a base game and we are having these spouse cards, the husbands, the wives, and all this stuff and we have clues these clues represent the old documents that we found on the uh, in on the um, in our house in the old chest, or something like that, and we have like all letters that says, "Oh, my old mother had a friend from France, and this is for the player, this is a clue that he has to add a French person in the in the family tree, yes, or we have some documentation that says my grandfather was a diplomat. So this is a clue for the player that the grandfather has to be a diplomat and so on and so on. So player has this deck of clues that he has to achieve building this genealogy tree but building it upside down. He builds starting from the kids and he tries to figure out who was his grand-grandfather. So this is a very interesting variant completely different from the base game And, and as I said, it was designed deliberately for solo players you know, to enjoy the game.
0: Yeah, that sounds neat. That that's a clever twist on the game. I like that idea.
2: Yeah, when uh, when when we came up with this and when we started playtesting, I was very excited because it shows something different, a new approach, and you can play solo uh, with uh, with you in a different way that you play multiplayer with other players.
0: Yep. I like that. You know, a lot of times people will, will add a solo variant to a game and, and, you know, players will say, I want the game to feel just like the multiplayer game. But t- to make it work solo, you have to take something out of it. And it, a lot of times it just doesn't feel as satisfying as the multiplayer game. Exactly. But I like that here, Yeah, instead of taking that approach, he said, I'm going to not worry about trying to make it fit. I'm going to find a different way to play that's specifically solitaire. And yeah. it worked well.
2: Yeah, Michael, basically he took a components of the game Took the team of the game, yes, and designed this mm-hmm. small solo game.
0: That's cool. um So, do you have? Do you guys have any other games out already that support solitaire play? Those are the only ones I know. I do remember seeing something on on Portals Magazine once as a solitaire game. It was something in. Oh, I don't remember what it was. I think it was in the Nirush- Niroshima Hex universe. But. Yes,
2: we have a, like a couple of mini solo games. And uh, they were published in Poland in, on our website as a freebies. We have them translated and we have to publish them on our website. There is there is plenty of them, I think there is uh, 10 of them. And uh, these are all designed by Michael Oraz, my, my close friend, who is designer of Naroshima Hex, for example, or Tizius. And um, besides the fact that he creates the designs board games, he is a huge fan of puzzles, all kinds of puzzles and uh, he designs some small games for some solo games uh, just for fun and we have uh, honor and and fun to publish them on Polish website and we have to publish them on English website as well and um, we also support Neuroshima Hex which is a tactical combat game so it doesn't match solo solo playing but we have like solo puzzles so these are like the cards that show the situation on the board very difficult for the player gives these players three tokens and the puzzle says, okay, you have these three tokens and get out of these troubles you are in. And we publish these these solo solo puzzles for every new army we publish for the Naroshima Hex, because for us it is like a win-win situation, because on one hand we present a new army and we teach players how to play with this army, because we are presenting them some situations with this army. So this is like a tutorial, and on the other hand is like a Free stuff from our website. People like free stuff. People like seeing that we support the game. So this is like a win-win for everybody.
0: Yeah. Okay. So these puzzles are they um, are they do they each have a, like a single solution or yes. is it? Yes. Yeah. This is
2: something okay. like you probably know these think fun games or smart yes. games fun. Yes. I, know. Yeah. I love. So them. this is something. Yes. I love them too. Uh, my <laughs> favorite is TripOver. So uh, the so this is like, like something like that. So we show how the tokens are put on the board. We show what tokens you have in your in your mm, hand, and on the other side of this card or PDF file, and there is a solution how to actually use use these tiles to win the situation.
0: Mm, okay, I got it. All right. Um, the only other thing I have before I forget is I want to congratulate you for winning the uh, one player guilds a uh, solo game of the year. Thank you, thank for you for Imperial Settlers.
2: Thank you. That's... That's very kind. But uh, as as I said, uh, we put a lot of effort in this, so this is very nice that people ap- uh, appreciate that, and it's very nice and kind. Thank you.
0: All right. And uh, do do you have anything else before we go? Anything you want to mention?
2: Mm, uh, let me think. Uh, we I have to say that in the in the expansion for Legacy, because we are just releasing expansion for Legacy in essence here. Oh. Uh, There is a new solo variant. (laughs) Oh, neat, okay. Yes, and the the case was exactly the same. Uh, We have this um, new expansion with new stuff for the basic game. And once again, I contacted my friend Michael and said to him that he created a great solo variant for the base game. So I expect... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that we will, he will create once again something interesting and uh, I gave him all components from the expansion and told him that uh, this is what he have and once again he created new solo game for the for the game completely new so this is like w- w- once more uh, example that uh, once we think about solo gaming and that we like to create these solo variants and so it, from my approach from my my, my my point of view this is like we published the legacy the game and there was a multiplayer variant and it was a solo variant and now we are publishing expansion and once again there is a multiplayer variant and there is a solo variant expansion so everybody should be happy and everybody should find something interesting for them and um, well uh, as I said I wasn't uh, aware of how much solo play, so, solo play is important mm-hmm. Uh, but now I am aware, and uh, I will care about this for the in the all upcoming games if it is possible.
0: Honey, I, th- I think Portal is now my favorite publisher. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so th- you mentioned the the Legacy expansion is that uh, available in October? You said
2: yes, in the, for Essen, yes. Okay,
0: awesome. and Thank and,
2: you. and and one more thing, uh, just uh, I just have mm-hmm. uh, about Easter eggs and about solo game. So in a uh, there is there is our sci-fi game, uh, that is combat game, it is a tactical game, so there was no chance to add solo variant, so there is no solo variant in the game, but on the back of each board, there, is a, there are four boards for the four factions, because there are aliens fighting marines, all that kind of stuff, so there are four factions and there are four boards for these factions, and on the back of each of these boards, there is a QR code, and if players are eager to check it, and if they check this QR code, they will find the game, game, game book, yes? the Game book, we call it, yes? Oh, yeah. A uh, small game book. Uh, so we have like four game books for each faction. There is a small game book, so you can play it solo and discover what this faction is doing in the game and why, why they are struggling with each other. So there is, even in the tactical game, there is a small, small... Uh, thing uh, small easter egg for solo players
0: oh that's really cool
2: yeah the the problem is that it was really so, uh, easter egg so we didn't say about this in the rule book so actually not too many people check this so not too many okay. people actually discover that we spent a couple of weeks actually writing for oh, four, wow. four game books four factions so maybe it's good for me to start telling about this in the podcast because <laughs> we put a lot of effort uh, writing these uh, game books and uh, because it was after we not didn't, we didn't tell about it
0: yep well okay I'm gonna have to pull out all my portal games and start digging to them see what else I find in them I could spend a few weeks doing that, I bet. Well, Neat, thank you very much. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I I know it's getting late there, and I know you're really busy getting ready for for Spielteson. So thank you very much for for coming on the One Player Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for the talk.
0: All right. (laughs) And so next we're going to talk about the game Imperial Settlers, designed by Ignacy Trevishek and released in 2014.
1: We are coming to you live from the middle of Civilization Center with a brown, burly, rotund man carrying a shovel towards you out of the village in the austere distance. That's right, and that's uh, everything this game is about. Civilizationing. And round, burly, rotund men?
0: And round, burly, rotund men. And others. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so this game it's it's a light game and you, you can kind of tell by our banter it's not something to take very seriously um and it's you're building an empire and it's it's a game for one through four players if you're playing you you're competing against other people and at the end whoever has the most victory points wins in the solo game well there's actually three different ways to play so, the solo game so I'll cover them all the go tends to be a little bit different there um so, like I said, this is an empire-building game, and uh, it's a very light empire-building game. You're basically playing cards from your hand. Now, if you've ever played the game 51st State by Ignacy Trevishek, it, it is the same game, pretty much, with a different theme. Um, I, I played that one a few times, and yeah, this was just very easy to learn because it's so, so similar. Um the main difference in that one, the go, it's a two-player game, and the go is the first person had to... It's been a few years since I played it, actually. But the first person to play a certain number of points to the board
1: wins. I don't remember well, exactly what that number is. But well, why don't we describe how this game plays first before we compare it to a different game? <laughs> okay. Well, this
0: lets the people that have played the other game jump to the end. <laughs> so, okay. So, this game, what you get is a bunch of cards. Um, you get... I think six decks of cards. You get one deck per faction. There's four different factions you could play. They're the Romans, the Egyptians, the Barbarians, and the Japanese. And these are feudal Japan. Feudal Japan. Um, each deck. Feudal, feudal. It is all feudal. It (laughs) is very feudal. And uh, all the all the empire decks are pretty small. I think they're probably about thirty to fifty cards. I'm not sure exactly. And there's a variety of cards with some repetition. Then there's also a deck of common cards. Um, and this is a much bigger deck, probably closer to 150 cards or so, 120, 84 150? cards. 84, that's it? That's it, 84 cards. Oh, that must be thick cards. Um, okay. And so so you have these two decks. Each person is going to draw from their personal deck and from the common deck. The cards are very, very similar. Um, th- there are some small differences. But generally what each card has, it's um, some sort of feature of a civilization. It could be a, a farm, it could be a, a wonder that they have built like pyramids in Egypt, um, quarries, a brewery, whatever. It's just, just different building or type of structure, I guess, or place. Um, the cards, there's three types of cards. There's production cards, feature cards, and action cards, I think the third kind was called. The production cards are going to give you resources. When you build them, they're going to give you extra resources each turn. The feature cards change something or give you an action that's triggered when you do something like play a card. Um, And the third type, the action cards, let you take an action by spending resources on them. And and again, both your civilization cards and the common cards have those same types. They're, They're all in there. The, the type in the civilization cards are tweaked to that civilization, so the art's different, and how they they feel and they play are a little bit different. But generally, they're very similar otherwise.
1: Well, how can you tell if a card is production, a feature, or an action card?
0: It, it'll say it on there, and the production cards will tell you production gives you one worker each turn, or gives you one sword each turn, or whatever. the The feature cards will say feature, or they won't say anything in in a couple of cases, and the action cards will say action, and and they are very clear. The the when you play the cards you're gonna play them to your tableau in front of you. You start with a a player board that's a very skinny strip. It's almost like a a thick bookmark. It's what it feels like. It's made out of a heavy card stock. same as same quality as your typical counter in a euro game or player board. Um and really all this uses to divide when you play your cards. Your civilization cards go on one side and the common cards go on the other. And that matters a little bit and we'll get into that in, in a little while. The you play your production cards on top, your feature cards in the middle, and your action cards in the bottom. The now there's there is a small difference between this the civilization the um, the different player civilizations and the common cards. The common cards have a, and I'm kind of jumping here a little bit. They have a, a you could raise them and gain something out of it if you raise it. Basically, you know you're destroying this and you're getting resources from
1: having plundered it and that's raise r a z e not like pick up raise that's raises and destroy that's right that's exactly right um
0: the your personal deck is also going to have a special ability on the bottom of the card if you flip it over it'll have a symbol and if you play that card as a deal you'll you'll gain that resource every turn but i will explain more about that stuff in a little bit besides the cards the player board there is a a scoreboard, and a turn track board. The game is only five turns. It's very short. And then there's a scoreboard that goes up to about something like 50 or 60 points. I have not come anywhere near that, <laughs> that at all. My score is apparently really bad. The the one time I taught the game to a friend, he, I think he tripled my score. <laughs> so I'm not very good at this one either. I'm not very good at most games. Anyway, um, there's <laughs> that board, and then there's a bunch of counters. Um, there's wooden resources and there's cardboard counters also. The resources are stone, wood, people, and food. In the cardboard counters, there's money, swords, and shields. The, all the wooden ones, you could just, you basically spend them to do things with them, to to play the cards mainly, or to do actions with them. The, the food and the people are a little bit different. The food you would use to make a deal which is where you, where you take that civilization card and play it upside down to, to gain that resource every turn automatically. Um, this, when you do that, this card is not going to get you victory points. All the other cards that you have played will get you victory points at the end. But the deal cards only give you that resource and they're really cheap to play because it's just one food. The, the people resources, when you play them, you usually play them in pairs. Two people let you trade, you, you could trade two people for, for one of the other wooden pieces. For food, a sword. I'm sorry, food, a wood, a stone, or to draw a card. So they're they're useful if you have a lot of people to do other things. It you know gives you more options. The you could also use them for actions, and and they could be pretty handy there. Then you have the cardboard counters, you have the, the money, which you could basically use as any other as any of the wooden resources, so they're really handy. One gold coin equals one person or one wood or stone or apple and very very handy and very useful the other ones the shield and the sword the sword is how you raise cards you could play a, a sword to raise a card from your hand um, a card you haven't actually built yet if it is one of the common cards it'll have on the top the, the raise bonus and you'll get two it'll have two resources it might have a a person and a food or two stone or or even two victory points or or combinations of things and when you raise the card you'll get those two things and it costs you one sword to raise a card from your hand the other way you can use the, the sword is to raise your opponent's cards that they have already built now you can only raise the common cards because they're the only ones that have the the raise icon on them well and the japanese i think you could also raise the japanese cards but that, that would be an exception um when you raise your opponent's card, you spend two swords, you get those two resources, you get rid of one of their cards, which is handy, and you and the person whose card was destroyed gets an apple for their trouble, one of the food resources. So you, it, it's, I suppose they were able to scrounge something from the ruins of whatever you destroyed. Now this actually does come into the Solitaire game, which is why I'm bothering to mention it here. The the final resource is the shield token. You could basically put a shield token on a common card that you have played to protect it. It'll keep it from being raised. Um every other card around it is still can be raised, but at least those are that are protected are well, they're protected. And presumably you're playing it on a, a more valuable card. So so that's pretty much all the things you have in the game. The cards, the boards, and all the different resources and tokens the game is five rounds in each round what you're going to do is you you start with a hand of cards already but you're going to draw a card from your private deck your civilization deck and then you're going to draft cards from the common deck in the solitaire game you're gonna draft four cards you're gonna you're gonna pick one then pick one of the three randomly and give it to your opponent your virtual opponent Pick a second card and give the the last one to the virtual opponent. So you're each going to get two cards each turn. Now the the reason your virtual opponent has cards is because you can raise those if you have the swords to do it with, and because to be able to win the game, you have to have more cards than your opponent at the end of the game. The normal solitaire game is five rounds, which means you're going to have to have potentially at least eleven cards out on the table, or or you just automatically lose. Um harsh yeah, you know I have lost to that a lot of times I, I, I have found it challenging to do that with With some empires it's easier to because you could raise your opponent's cards so they won't have as many but but if that's not the case then you gotta build a lot you know an average of 2 cards a turn plus 1 more somewhere along the way mm-hmm. and, and keep in mind the deal cards don't count towards that 10 cards that you gotta have or 11 cards you gotta have um so you drafted the cards, you have your cards in your hand, and then the next phase is taking actions. In a multiplayer game, you, you go around the table taking turns, taking actions, and in a solitaire game, it's just you taking them as much as you want. Um, but the actions are either to build a card, each card on the top has a, a cost and resources, you'll pay that cost and build the card, play it onto the table. You could raise a card, using swords if you have any. Uh, you could protect a card or you can use an action and that's it and the action will be the it will be described on the card what the action is so you will keep doing that until you decide to stop which is usually when you run out of resources and you can't do anything else and then and then comes the end of the phase oh i forgot to mention before you start taking actions you also want to draw your resources each turn you're going to get resources and um each empire starts with a different set of resources they collect each turn. The, I think the Egyptians get more people every turn, for example, or the Barbarians do. One empire does. The Romans, I think, might get more gold. You know, It's a little bit different. It's a little tweaked. So the way you're going to play the game is different depending on which empire you're using.
1: And that's both multiplayer and in solo it changes?
0: Yeah, that's right. Each empire on the empire board, it'll tell you how what resources you're getting for that empire. And each person's playing a different empire in the game, so you all more or less have different strategies.
1: And it sounds like it makes a lot of difference which empire you have.
0: Yes, it can definitely make a lot of difference. I mean, the basic strategy is still going to be the same. You're still trying to build the cards and get the points. How you go for points might be a little different, whether you're going to build a lot of cards or whether you're going to try and produce a lot of stuff or, or what. The, the way you could get points might change a little bit. But... um, Uh, <laughs> you made me lose my train of thought. Sorry, so man. so you get your resources at the beginning of the turn. Some of them you get because of your empire. Some you're going to get because of the cards you've built. That might give you more resources. And don't forget the deals you've also made. That'll give you resources too. And Then you'll take your turn, spend all your resources, do all your actions by your cards, anything you can do. And then finally at the end of the turn in the Solitaire game, I had mentioned earlier on there's a Solitaire deck, and I forgot to tell you about it. It's a very simple deck. I think there's sixteen cards, and each card only just just has a symbol on the top of a resource type. one of the symbols that'll be in the raise section of the cards of the common cards um so it may have a, a little person icon, uh a food, a stone, a wood draw card, or victory point. I think those are the possibilities. You will draw a card and if it matches one of your common cards the the symbol matches the raise symbol one of your common cards, you look to see. If any of the previous cards you've solitaire cards you've played also have that symbol and that'll give you a pair of symbols. I'm sorry, not the same symbol. Let me explain this again, because it was a little confusing to understand. You you'll find a symbol that you just drew, and you find a card that has a matching symbol, and you check then to see if that other symbol on that card isn't any of the other solitaire cards you've played so far in this game. If it is, then the AI just destroyed that card. If not, you keep checking your other cards to see if any other ones have that first symbol you drew, and then compare the second symbol against your previous cards. And you can do that twice each turn, so the AI could potentially destroy two of your cards every turn. So not only do you have to build your 11 cards, but you may have to build more if some of them got raised. Now that works out actually pretty interestingly, there's, because you could actually plan for that and have a little strategy of, you know, what do I think there's a good chance of showing up, and of those, which ones do I really want to protect? So it actually, even though it's pretty random, ends up giving you interesting choices. Okay. Once you've done that, the round is over, and you go to the next round and do the same thing. And, and you do this five times, play the whole game five times, and at the end, again, if you have more cards than the AI has, then you've won, and now you check your points to see how well you've won.
1: And I so like you that. you automatically That'll- win as long as you have more cards.
0: Yes. If you don't have more cards, then your points don't matter at all. You just ignore them. Um, And, you know, well, I mean, you may still have potentially gotten a lot of points if you forgot to build and focus on scoring a lot of points because there are other ways to get points other than playing cards. But one of the ways to get points is each card you play it is either worth one or two victory points. The common cards are worth one. The civilization cards or empire cards are worth two so that you know that could give you a good 15 or 20 points pretty easily so that's the basic solitaire game as it comes with with imperial settlers um it's interesting it's pretty straightforward every time you play the ai is exactly the same um so you don't have to worry about adjusting your strategy for that it's just what cards is to draw during the drafting cuz you know those cards you could potentially raise and get some things from it and what solo cards came up to raise your cards.
1: That's about the, the level of interaction. So because the A is the same each time, does that mean you can figure out how to beat it exactly, it becomes predictable, or no?
0: Not necessarily, because because there's so many cards and the randomness of the shuffle, it's going to change the strategy from game to game. You know, it's shuffle or your shuffle? Both, really. Your, your shuffle of all the common cards that you're drawing are gonna okay. change what you can do each turn and the shuffle of the solitaire deck, trying to decide what's gonna get destroyed is gonna also affect your strategy a little. Okay. So so there's a lot of replayability there. And and then the rule book has a, a score system for to see how well you scored and, and tell you, you know, I forget the ranking. I think it's it might be comparing you against famous peep or something. I don't remember for sure. But you've got that. Um besides that there is a second way to play solitaire, which is not that different. That came with the first expansion, which is called Why Can't We Be Friends? And that's a small box expansion, just a, a small deck of cards. And that gives you more cards for each of the different empires, plus some common cards, plus two solitaire cards. Now, it's, I find it a little annoying, but it only brought you two cards for two of the empires. You're gonna What you would do if you're using these cards is you shuffle up the two cards... Draw one, and now the AI is playing this empire, and that's going to give a, a rules tweak basically to to change the way the AI plays, which should sort of you know abstractly feel kind of like that empire does in a multiplayer game. So when how you
1: easy, how easy is it to play the AI when you're doing that?
0: I found it harder. I didn't play that one too much to be honest, but I found it harder. I I, I didn't need it harder. Also, I find the game challenging enough myself, so I haven't worried about using that. Well, not that it's hard to beat.
1: How easy is it to do the AI? Is oh, the it's it's game
0: pretty game? easy. It's it's really easy. It's just you know a sentence in the card, and it's going to change things a little bit. I could I don't remember exactly. I could look it up if you like. Hang no, on. It's okay. No, okay. okay go on. Um, so it's it's a very simple tweak, and it changes the game somewhat, which is nice. I think, for example, I mentioned during the. The end of the round, you're gonna draw the solitaire, two solitaire cards to see who the AI raises. Potentially two cards. I think the Romans or maybe the Barbarians could draw three instead of two, so they're more aggressive and they're gonna raise more often. It's probably the Barbarians because I think they're the more aggressive empire. Um. So yeah, so that's nice. The, the annoying thing: there's only two. The next expansion, which isn't out yet, which is supposed to, it was supposed to be, I think, last month or so. Uh, it hopefully, it'll be out by Essen, or I'm sorry, by uh, yeah, by Essen. That one's gonna bring the next two cards, so you will finally have the cards for the four different empires. Though, the that expansion is another empire, so you'd want five cards. But I don't think it's bringing the the last one for that, so you'll still only be able to play against four of the uh, civilizations. You know, but that's fine. I find the the game brings a lot of replayability, and and these uh the first expansion that came out gives you a lot of cards you could add to your deck and includes rules for, for deck building. So you, instead of just throwing them all in there, you could customize your Empire deck and play with that and change it around. Okay. So, so out of the box, the base game brings a lot of replayability. Adding this expansion brings a lot more replayability. And then there is a third solitaire way to play where they publish some campaign rules online. And these you just print out. And play with or people have turned them into cards also. Because the campaign, what the campaign rules do, they change the game in that you're playing a shorter game. It's only four rounds instead of five. And at the end of the game, if you win, you have conquered some lands and you take these lands on. And now every turn you get a bonus from this land you won. Um, However, there is a cost because you now control more land. You have to spend resources to maintain a little bit. So as you progress in the game, it's becoming a little harder, but giving you some benefits also. Not only that, but you could spend your victory points that you've earned throughout the game um, to buy different achievements. And some of these achievements are are one use where where it lasts for the next game you play. Some will continue throughout your entire campaign. And and the other thing that the uh, campaign mode adds is an event. Every game, you're going to roll some dice to determine a random event that happens and the event could make it harder could make it better it just depends
1: like what are some of the events
0: um the first one i played i had a i found a treasure hoard and that gave me four gold at the beginning of the game so right away i was able to play a lot more cards and start a little stronger and is it possible
1: for you to get that same event next time
0: yes if you roll again i believe you could get the same events Okay. Some I, I am not 100% sure. I think some events might t- potentially tell you they can only happen once. But I guess presumably since it's, the campaign has taken over many thousands of years, hundreds of years, may, maybe it's not a big deal if it shows up twice. Um, there are... When you roll, you roll D10 and that tells you which of 10 tables to pick from and then you roll another D10 to tell you which event. And so I'd say there's... you know, It's not 100 events. It's not... Like, for example, the 10th table just says roll twice on the other tables instead. So you that game, you'd end up having two events. And some of the tables might might have 10 items. Some might only have seven or eight or whatever. But but again, there's a lot of variety there. And people have made decks that you could print out and build or, I guess, order through Arts car or something like that. And instead of drawing an event... Rolling it up with dice, you'd draw a card and have that card in front of you, same with the lands that you conquer right now just just straight as the portal games has done it, you look at a table and it'll tell you what card you have or I'm sorry what land you have conquered, and then you reference that table when you need to. I found that when I was playing that way, it was really hard to remember and keep track and gain the benefits of that
1: uh, land. So you're saying you'd prefer it to be the card?
0: Very much, yes. Very, very much. I really wish I had the cards because I'm sure I forgot to do things sometimes and possibly did things wrong anyway. So you just need to print off the cards. I'll have to do that, yeah. Print them out. Though I'd much (laughs) prefer to to get nicer cards than what I can make at home. We'll see. Um, There's a couple different styles of cards that people have made with uh, different artwork. There's some, like I think you mentioned earlier during the show, or maybe you mentioned... Off air. That they look a lot like the uh the art that comes with the game. Which is nice. I like that they had a similar style. Excuse me. Um so so that's a game. The one thing I don't like about the campaign game is that there is so so you keep playing until you lose a game. Um you would lose a game if you weren't able to match the number of cards played. ...against the AI... ...or if... When it, ...I mentioned the fabled... the no, I keep wanting to call them fabled lands... The, um, ...the lands you have conquered... they ...have a cost... ...each... Um, ...for example, the one that I got... ...which was... ...Pleasant Land, I think it was called... ...it will give me um, a bonus each turn... ...through each game... ...but also had a cost each turn of one stone. So now not only do I have all the resources I'm collecting each turn, but I have to spend one of my resources to maintain this land, one one gold. If you can't pay the, for the land, you lose that land. Um, and then your resources go up. And I think the rule said something which I don't quite understand, but if you don't have any lands to lose, then you lose the game. Let me check that out again.
2: Oh, that would be bad.
0: Yeah, but I, I don't get it. If you can't pay the cost of the land, why would you? have... If you don't have any lands, why would you have a cost? Uh,
1: um. Pause. Looking it up. Pausing. Click. No, wait.
0: You actually paused. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. That was just me saying "click." It wasn't an actual click. <laughs> okay. Okay, if you win, you may continue your campaign and play more games. There you go. Yeah, if not, your empire suffers losses. Lose one achievement at random if you have no achievements. Okay, so you could lose the the game by not having as many cards as your opponent. The other way you could lose the game in the campaign mode is, well, if you do lose a campaign game, then you lose one of your achievements. The achievements are the things you buy with your victory points between games. And if you don't have any achievements to lose, then the campaign is over. So so if you lost the first game, it's just flat out over. If you won the first game and you had, say, 50 victory points and you bought yourself an achievement, then you play your second game and you lost at second game, you lose that achievement. Basically, I guess the the AI took it from you and they now control it. Is the way I would think of it. You could keep playing after that, but you n- don't have the achievement anymore. If you lose your third game You're out Right if, if you win your third game, you might be able to buy another achievement and that'll give you more chances to keep playing So that's how it works. The thing I don't like is that once you've won or, or lost you, you keep playing until you lose there, There's nothing telling you how well you've done the game. The game is over. You've lost um, there's no points to track at the end of the whole campaign. I guess you could track how many points you earned throughout the campaign, and that might be one way to do it, but the the rules don't have any way to to judge your victory. Every game ends in a loss <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of weird and you know it does it probably doesn't really matter it's still fun and and you're evolving over time and that's kind of neat to see, but I wish it gave me some way to to tell me how I did. Or at least give me a, a chance to win the game if, if it can't give me a, a score. And it, it doesn't have either one, which I find strange. So, now, I guess what's, you, mm-hmm?
1: so what's your favorite way to play of these various solo modes?
0: Um, I, you know, I like them all. They're, they're all a little different. They each have a different feel. The, the, ca- the campaign is neat. I really like that it's going to change a lot from game to game and that you, your empire builds over time. I like that it's only 4 rounds, so if I'm in the mood for something quicker I could do that. But the 4 rounds also it, it was really hard to to finish, not to finish, but it, it felt like I didn't quite get as far as I wanted to. You know, it's it's an engine building game basically and I never got an engine going. It felt like mm. it's a very tight game. So I it's hard to say. What I really like is that I have a lot of variety to pick from. That that's what I like about this. Not only do I th- is the variety in the gameplay, but there's a variety in the way you play solitaire.
1: I feel like it's also important to note that for 2014, the One Player Guild was running a um, awards, and the Imperial Settlers Solo Campaign cards actually won the best solo variant for 2014. So it definitely seems like a lot of people really like those solo campaign cards as a definite addition to the game.
0: Yeah, and I can see that. It really it's a well done solo add-on and you know it's it's given off free it didn't come with the game I don't necessarily get the feeling that it's an afterthought I mean it, it brought a solo game I do know a lot of people didn't necessarily feel the solo game that came with the game was that good and I'll tell you what the first few games I played I think I lost the first one and then the next few I won easily and after that I felt a little disappointed with it I, didn't, I did not come back for it for quite a few months um the next times I played it was a lot more challenging and I think I'd either, I either I got a rule wrong the first time around or I got lucky. And it was probably that I got rules wrong. I suspect that that happened. Um but but was it? But I don't know what I was why I was saying that. I just
1: don't know. <laughs> so what did you think of the actual components by the way? I didn't ask you about the art and how the components are. What did you think about them?
0: The the components are all great quality. All the you know the cards the cards are great. Sh- they're easy to shuffle. Um, they shuffle very well and everything. The cardboard stuff is really great. The counters are great. I really enjoy the artwork. It's a very light, silly artwork, which is really neat. You know the the game that this is based off Fifty First State is a much darker game. The setting is a uh, I think it's post apocalyptic. If not, it's at least in a very dark future, um, and so it has a very different feel to this. And I like this. I like the the art's very cartoony, and the game is has Easter eggs in it. At least one that I know of, probably many more. If you haven't seen it already, and you have the game, take out your insert from the box, and you'll you'll find a little hidden cartoon in there, in the inside of the insert, basically. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, you know it's you know the how the inserts in a lot of games come in. So it's a lot of cardboard, and it sort of goes up on the sides and. To make to fill up the box, so you really have a small space inside that you could use, right? And on the on the on the insert on the side facing the box itself is a piece you'll never see. But if you pull it out, there's a little cartoon saying, "Well, I'll let you see it yourself." <laughs> it was cute. It was very cute. And then I think the um, the first expansion also had a little cartoon like that on the insert. That was a joke. Oh, that's right. On the insert, not in the hidden part. There, there's a two little soldiers and they're bummed or I think they're soldiers because they didn't come out in the game itself and they only got to be used in the insert and there's a little cartoon and they're, they're talking about that and then in the expansion they're there again still complaining about the fact that they're not in the game <laughs> so that's, that's fun, I, I enjoyed that and I like that, that sense of humor thrown in the game and all that is very unnecessary which is why I enjoy it so much more it doesn't hurt to have it it's just a
1: nice touch and what about the components?
0: Um, for the
1: Do you say there's a lot of tokens and things?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of tokens. There's enough for everybody to play. Managing all the stuff is a little bit of a pain, I thought. Uh, I've got a bunch of little Ziploc bags for each of the decks in the box to make it easy to play. And uh, a, plastic, uh, a plastic box for all the counters and tokens. And that's worked out pretty well. But um, everything is great quality. Now, I've ordered an insert for the box, one of these wooden inserts, and I haven't gotten that yet. I hope that makes the game easier to store and easier to use. I mentioned there's an expansion coming out. That's the Atlanteans. That's a new empire. And that one, again, will have a different feel to it. That one's interesting because the Atlanteans, since Atlantis sunk, the Atlantean cards aren't worth any victory points. At the end of the game, I guess they all sink. So you have to get your victory points other ways, and I, presumably there's a lot of cards geared towards giving you victory points. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So one thing that uh, one critique I've heard about the game is that the different uh, the different factions feel very different, but they don't necessarily feel very balanced. What What do you think about that?
0: You know, I haven't played them that much, and I I don't know how much that would matter in the solitaire game. I mean, I guess if you're playing. The solitaire game, some might be easier than others and you could get farther or higher score. But I think that critique probably applies more to the multiplayer game. And from what I've read and seen, some of the factions are more hard to play. The Japanese, for example, their cards could be raised. So you got to work around that a little more. And I think that's probably the real issue is that they're not all straightforward to play. not not so much
1: unbalanced and do you recommend the game for solitaire play do you recommend it for multiplayer play
0: yes I do I've had fun both ways it it worked out really well I tried it with my kids and it didn't work with them I think they were still way too young at the time um but I I think they'll enjoy it especially my son once we try it again probably in a year or so when he's older um and for solitaire player again I really enjoy the variability in the game so I do I do think it works well for that I would recommend it Okay So there you go that's Imperial Settlers and it's many many ways to play Excellent
1: The end. I guess that's a podcast <laughs> Yay, there we go. I apologize. I have nothing more to say i still haven't <laughs> chance to, I, haven't, I haven't had enough chance to play it myself this game i don't actually I don't own a copy of it, and so I've only had a chance to play it once so thanks for uh teaching us the game okay so you have played it. you played a multiplayer game I've played a multiplayer game once and I played a solo game once. okay. what do you think of it um I unfortunately played them a while ago. I played the the solo game a while ago before I actually played the multiplayer. Um, oh. With the multiplayer, we were playing a four-player multiplayer game, and I was the Japanese, and I was trying to figure out how to do it well, mm. and I didn't figure out how to do it well before the game ended.
0: Yeah, and it's such a short game. You don't If you don't figure it out right away, you're in a yeah, you you're have in real a disadvantage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was that was how it went for me.
0: And it's a fast game also. It's, it's worth mentioning. I think probably a solitaire play can last 30 to 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the multiplayer game goes by really quick because you take turns taking actions. You just do one action, and they're so simple it's build, raise, or use an action are basically your options.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The the other thing I the, say, the gameplay as you're playing is very, I think it's very thinky. Trying to decide, you know, you've got a hand of cards, and you're trying to figure out which one you want to build, which ones you want to raise to get more tokens, and which order you build them. You know, all all that is stuff you have to figure out as you're playing, and you know what actions you're taking and in which order, so you could get the best use of your resources. So there's a lot of opportunity if, if you enjoy a game that has analysis paralysis, a lot of thinking. Th-
1: this game has that. I don't mind that. Like I said, Lewis and Clark is one of my favorites, and that's yep. definitely <laughs> a thinking game. So there you go. So
0: now that's a podcast. Now we're done.
1: All right, excellent. Thanks for everyone listening.